It is a joy to um, be here with you today. My wife Sally sends her love. I wish she could have been here um, with me as well. It's a joy to be here, especially because I missed last year because of COVID. And, and the reality is, what a season we have had in these last 14 months. Um, but it means also for me that it's a joy to be here on the day of Pentecost. As I was thinking about this day, I, I recognized that there are words that we have lost because they have negative connotations to us. Um, and words matter. So when we lose a word, it's not just that, 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 that there's something of, of in a way to express ourselves matter, but we lose some of the content. Because words don't just express what we think, they shape what we think. And so one of the words that we have lost is the word um, evangelical. Right? It's become a politicized word, dealing with stands taken on, on political or cultural things. However, to be evangelical is to be marked by the evangel, by the good news, uh, by the gospel. It means that our lives and our message are shaped by the grace of God. It's not about how we vote or what we think about certain issues. I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody say to me, I am so glad to have left the evangelical church and now I'm in the Anglican church. I mean, I know what they mean, right? They're tired of engaging in the culture wars. But if we are not evangelical, if we are not defined by the gospel, we are not the church. We have no ability to call prodigal sons and daughters home. But another word that we've lost is the word Pentecostal, right? Because Pentecostals are, are those people who have bad theology, right? They have prosperity gospel. They, they don't focus on the cross, that there is a, the name it, claim it, and, and they're all about hyping emotions and experience and superstar pastors who have a, a power. Never the mind that actually God wants to work through our emotions and our experiences. But Pentecostal really means that we are dependent on God, the Holy Spirit, for all we do, that we are shaped by the work of Pentecost. It means that we understand that we need the empowering of the Holy Spirit because we understand that fundamentally the work of the church is not dependent on what we do, that the work of the church is dependent on what God does, right, through the Holy Spirit empowering us and moving into this world as his kingdom presence. If we are not Pentecostal, we are not the church. We might do nice things, but we have no ability to actually be an outpost of the kingdom of God. And the reality of this is because the dreams that God has for us are always beyond our resources and always exceed our ability to meet those dreams. And this is true for us individually, but also corporately as a church, as a people gathered, which means we always have a choice. And the choice is to go with our dreams. They might even be good dreams, godly dreams, but they're things that we can accomplish in our own strength, maybe with a little stretching or a little sacrifice. Or we can go with God's dreams, which are always beyond our ability to accomplish them. Choosing our dreams uh, keeps us feeling like we are in control. It keeps us feeling like we are safe. And if they are good dreams, they actually enable us to be motivated by self-protection while looking like we're motivated by faithfulness. This reminds me of, of what we see in the first Samuel reading. Um, when Samuel told the Israelites, if you're returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the asterisks and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. See, either we serve God wholeheartedly or we end up reducing the faith to a transaction instead of a relationship with the living God. And we do that so that we can keep hold of our idols and use God as a resource to help us live the lives that we want. 
I think this is part of what Ben has been preaching through the Easter season, right? There's a resurrection life that God has for us, and there are things that we do to quench his grace and his life. Now, we have to look at is, is this thing, this call to serve God wholeheartedly. We have to recognize that we fundamentally have no ability to do that. It is beyond our ability. This is why we need the cross and we need the Holy Spirit. Choosing God's dreams keeps us dependent upon God because we recognize that we are not in control. We recognize that we need Jesus and that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Choosing God's dreams keeps us in relationship, which is so important because the gravitational pull is to move out of relationship into transaction. God, I do my part and then you do your part. I do good things and then you bless me. Uh, where we make the faith um, a helpful addition to our lives uh, to help us live the lives that we want. See, this dependency upon God, this relationship with Him, is what enables us to worship in spirit and truth, enables us to keep in step with the Spirit, and to be His kingdom presence in this world. So let me read now from Acts chapter 2, what we heard in the day in Pentecost, just the first four verses. The day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. What do you think is the most significant word in that passage? You can speak. What do you think is the most significant word in that passage? All. All is the most significant word in that passage. It wasn't the Holy Spirit falling only on the apostles. It wasn't the Holy Spirit falling only on those who were ordained and were backward callers, right? It fell on the whole church. All who were gathered. And what we see in Acts chapter 1 and verse 15, that there are about 120 people gathered. Men, women, young, old, the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, fell on all of them. This is a message we need to hear. Because what develops in the church, what becomes normative in the church, is that, um, that ministers minister and the congregations congregate. Right? We go to church. Uh, we go, we get, and then we come home. But church is not something you go to. Church is who you are. There is to be no division uh, between those who are ordained and those who aren't ordained. See, there is a, a division that arises in the church again and again. And that division tends to lift up those who are ordained and push down those who aren't ordained. Right? Clericalism is always a danger in the church. Where to be important, um, to have um, authority, means that you need to be ordained. And our language reflects this. Right? If you have a heart condition, are you going to go to a layman to get that taken care of? Right? No, you go to a professional, the ones who have been trained. Right? And so we have this division of, of clergy and laity, laymen, right? that, that don't, have, um, they don't have the ability to do the things that maybe they should do as the church. I can't tell you how many times I have been in a conversation and we're talking about scripture and somebody says something profound about scripture. But they preface it by saying, you know, I haven't been to seminary, but here's what I think. As if that's the qualification to speak about the word of God. 
as if the Spirit of God could not work through them because they didn't go to seminary. See, this is not what the Bible teaches. The term laity, it comes from the word laos, which literally just means people. Right? We are the people of God. That is a fundamental definition of who we are. I am laos, right? I am laity. I am part of the people of God as much as you are. That's why when we talk about confirmation, uh, we speak about confirmation that is an ordination. This is an ordination service we're doing. This is the ordination of the people. And in that, it's the apostolic laying on of hands for the empowering of the Holy Spirit for the work of ministry. Only bishops can ordain, which is why only bishops can confirm. And so if we understand this, then, then we begin to see that, that I've been consecrated a bishop, I've been ordained a priest, ordained a deacon, I've been confirmed. And my most primary ordination is my confirmation. We are a kingdom of priests. That is the primary thing that defines us. So there should be no division between clergy and lady. There is a distinction, right? There are offices that are distinct that we hold for, for purposes. But we see in Ephesians chapter 4 that the purposes of the offices is for equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Right? The purpose of the office is to raise the people of God up into who they are as a kingdom of priests, that we live out what it is to be the church in the power of the Holy Spirit. You matter. Do not diminish yourself. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God, and there are no second-class offerings or gifts in the kingdom of God. That's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. Now to each one a manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To each one. All of us are to be empowered by God the Holy Spirit. All of us receive spiritual gifts. Do you believe it? See, Pentecost is for all of us. The filling of the Spirit is meant for all of us. And it is the only way that we can be the church. Now I want to clear something up. When you, when you read the, the account in John 20 of, of Jesus appearing to the disciples on the eve of the resurrection, there's a place where he breathes on the disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Right, so the disciples have the Holy Spirit. And what we see happening in John 20, verse 22, is a mirror act of what you see happening in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, when the Lord took the dust of the earth that had no life and breathed into it. Right, And then there was life. Then man was created. And what you see happening in John 20 is that same thing. It's, a, it's an echo of what happened in Genesis 2. Because we are dead in our sins and trespasses. We can't bring ourselves to life. God breathes life into us. And this is what you see happening. It is, it, is, it is setting right what was set wrong in our rebellion in Genesis 3. Where we are, we are separated from God. We become spiritually dead. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, Paul makes clear that you cannot have uh, faith without the Holy Spirit. If you have been rescued by Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. So you see Jesus breathing in the disciples, and this is them, that place of, of coming to faith, the Spirit of God bringing them spiritually alive. Yet these same disciples who have the Holy Spirit are told to wait because they will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. And on this day, we see it happen. This is what we find happening on this account in Acts chapter 2. And when the Holy Spirit falls on them, you see something amazing happen. Let me just give one piece. 
Peter, on this day, he stood up and he raised his voice and proclaimed Jesus in the same place he had denied even knowing him 50 days before. In the same place that he denied even knowing him, he now stands up and he preaches the gospel powerfully in the Holy Spirit. Right? The Holy Spirit empowered him to be a witness, which is what was promised in Acts chapter 1, in the same place that he would not be a witness 50 days before. Only possible because of the power of the Holy Spirit coming in him and through him. And on that day, 3,000 people come to faith. This is the glory of God rescuing 3,000 people through the glory of Peter being empowered to step into who Jesus had actually made and called him to be. The rock. And on this rock I will build my church. This is the Holy Spirit empowering Peter to stand into who God had made him to be. And to stand in the very place of his greatest failure as a disciple. Do you see how the Holy Spirit transforms our stories? Right? God restores us, but he also restores us. That Peter speaks this message in the same place of his greatest failure. And look at the fruit that God brought. We see in the book of Acts um, that that the, there is a filling with the Spirit again and again. You see it happening again and again. And each time you see it happening, you see sort of the, the ministry of the church, the, the, the stretch of this church geographically moving farther out and out, right? It happens through the empowering of the Spirit. But I just want to set something um, really straight here. Um, the danger can be, I'll, I was filled with the Spirit, one and done. Well, that's not what you see in the biblical piece, right? There's a, we're filled again and again. But the other danger is that we can have a wrong understanding of why we are filled again and again, right? We're filled again and again as we step into new areas of ministry for the gospel to go forth in new ways in power. Uh, to, to see what happens on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, through them, gave them the ability to speak the gospel into the cultures that were around them. That's what the Spirit does. He empowers us to speak the gospel, to live the gospel into our culture in ways that can be heard. But, but there is a, we have such a low sense of self that often what, what I hear is, yeah, I was filled with the Spirit, then I was filled again because, you know, we leak. Right? So I'm filled with the Spirit, and, and because of my sins, it sort of leaks out and I need to be filled again. I'm not saying that that's not necessarily true, but I think that's a wrong understanding. What if it's actually more that when God fills us with His Spirit, He increases our capacity for Him? So the more that He fills, the more we have capacity, and the more we need to be filled again for this greater work. See, I would say that, that there are a couple primary things about the filling of the Spirit. And one is, is that the filling of the Spirit is about being filled and empowered to be who you are who God has made you to be, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to stand more fully into who you are so that you can do what he has given you to do. Because the things that we are called to do are to rise out of who he has made us to be. Now, it is one thing to be made a new creation, to know that you are a beloved child of God. And it is another thing to stand in that truth, to have the gospel shape our identity, our imaginations, and our desires in the face of the assault of the world, the flesh, and the devil that tells us that we are inadequate. 
that tells us that we are inconsequential, that tells us that we are unimportant, that tells us that life is up to us to create or to protect. It's one thing to know this truth. It's another to stand in that truth in the assault of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Do you know this? Have you experienced that? We can be beloved children of God and know that that we are beloved children of God. But the circumstances of our lives and how we interpret them, the whispers of the enemy and our own sinfulness work together to tell us that we are not loved, that we are on our own, that we are second class, that we're not good enough, that we are not enough or we're too much. So we can know here because of the word of God that that God delights in us but we can actually feel shame instead of delight we can live as if God merely tolerates us and we can live as if really we're just sort of a disappointment with God but I'm really glad that he has grace as he will put up with this disappointment that is named Ken without the power of the Holy Spirit this is where we will always go we will always then choose self-protection. And in that, we will always fall into our smaller dreams. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit. The same power, it says in Ephesians 1.19, that raised Jesus up from the dead. It takes that power for us to know that our life is not defined by what we have or what we accomplish. That our life is actually defined by who has us and what he has accomplished for us. See this filling with the Spirit, part of it is is it has to do with being rooted more fully and deeply into our identity in Christ, which is why when it says you will be my witnesses, he doesn't say you will witness, but you will be my witnesses, because a witness is about who you are, somebody who's been with Jesus, right? It's about who you are, that we are empowered to stand into who he has made us to be, uh, so that we know that, that, um, that we can then step into doing what he has called us to do. See, if, if we think we are insignificant, if we think that we have le- very little to offer, then why would we seek the empowering of the Holy Spirit to offer what we think is insignificant from an insignificant person? Knowing who we are in Jesus means that we don't have to strive to be seen, strive to be important, strive to be loved and affirmed, which means we are not self-conscious, which means that we can actually look at how to serve others instead of looking at how we can get from others what we think we need to feel affirmed and feel important. This this place of being rooted in our identity, let let me give you this example. If you have been asked to sing a solo in front of 10,000 people, And you have no concept that actually you have a good voice that you can sing. In fact, you believe the opposite is true, that that you can't carry a tune. Are you going to stand up in front of those 10,000 people and sing? You're not going to do it, right? Because if you don't know that's who you are, the way you've been gifted, then why would you stand up and, and put yourself out to that ridicule? See, knowing who we are, knowing who God has made us to be, knowing how he's gifted us is essential to being a kingdom presence to doing what he calls us to do. And knowing who we are in Jesus means that we don't have to strive to be seen. We don't have to strive to be seen as important, to be loved or affirmed, so we're not self-conscious. And and that, that place of striving to be seen, striving to be loved, striving to be important, to have value and identity, it is living with an orphan spirit. Living as if we are orphans. 
don't know if you heard this in the gospel, but Jesus in John 14, verse 18 says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He's speaking about the Holy Spirit. This speaks to our identity, right? We are not orphans. We are sons and daughters of the King of Kings. We're not abandoned. We're not vulnerable. We're not forgotten. We're not on our own. And this comes to us through the Holy Spirit, which cannot be taken away. It doesn't matter how much opposition there is. It doesn't matter how much the enemy taunts. It doesn't matter how much the world hates or attacks us. God, the Holy Spirit, is in the believer, and he will not leave. We are not left as orphans. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to be in us so that we would not live as orphans, which means that we are not living in our own strength, relying on our own resources, and continually choosing our own smaller dreams. Life as an orphan means that we are living as if life is up to us. And it's exhausting, isn't it? It's exhausting. I I know it because I do it. Right? Not all the time, but, but I do it. And I would certainly say in these last 14 or 15 months, there has been so much to try to pull us into an orphan spirit. And it's exhausting and we might not even realize it. I need the power of God the Holy Spirit to not live as an orphan with a small world with no real expectation of God to show up and move with power in my life or the lives of others around me. See, there is a battle to keep us from stepping into what it means to be his and the inheritance we have in Jesus. Because if we don't step into who we are, into who God has formed and redeemed us to be, how will we ever step into doing what he has called us to do in the power of God the Holy Spirit? We can step into what he's given us to do in our own strength. And when we do that, the things that, um, that are meant to be joys for us, living out who we are called to be, they begin to feel like obligations and duties and burdens. Instead of seeing them as an invitation to be more fully who Jesus had made us to be and be a part of his restoration work of all things. It takes the power of God the Holy Spirit for us to be the church. For us to dream his dreams, to live into what Jesus has done for us, to live more fully into who he has made us to be and to step into what he has given us to do. It takes the power of God to do this, but the focus is not on the power of God. I love that Paul says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 5 that the love of God is poured overwhelmingly into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do this, but we don't focus on the power because if we focus on the power, we end up tending to focus on ourselves who have the power, right? And it, it becomes twisted. Instead of actually focusing on Jesus and his love that makes me a child of God and I can rest in that, be assured that I belong to him and therefore step into what he has called me to do. If we live as orphans, we will learn to dampen our longing and desire in order to protect ourselves from disappointment. Which means that we don't live with an expectancy of God being present in our lives intimately involved in who we are and manifesting his kingdom and his glory through us. And not only do we lose that expectancy, we become timid and hidden and we are afraid to ask. Jesus says this amazing thing in Luke chapter 12, verse 13. 
If you then know who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The Father will give the Holy Spirit to His children. And children from safe and healthy homes know that it's safe to ask. If we live with an orphan spirit, we don't know that we actually have a safe and healthy relationship with the Father and it's okay to ask. We're supposed to ask. So Pentecost, part of what it is, is an invitation to step out of an orphan spirit. To step into who Jesus has made you to be in the power of God the Holy Spirit. To do what he has given you to do in the power of God the Holy Spirit. So we're coming to this time of confirmation. And in this time of confirmation, we are, we are asking God to anoint with the Holy Spirit those who are being confirmed. right? To fill them, to empower them, to stand in who they are as sons and daughters of the King, not as orphans. It is an invitation for the church to be the church. Being empowered by God the Holy Spirit to stand into who we are and then to do what he has prepared in advance for us to do, living out who we are, stepping into his dreams, which is always beyond our ability and always beyond our resource. Jesus promised that the Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So I am inviting you to ask. This is for us. This is for us as the people gathered, that we would also ask the Father to pour God the Holy Spirit out on all of us, that he would cleanse us, that he would change us, that he would empower us. We need Pentecost today. Let's pray.